So I've been, I've been thinking about lately, like, I don't know, fantasizing about, like, a lifestyle I want. You know what I mean? You ever do that where you're like, okay. man, when I have, when I have no care in the world and money to blow, like, here's what's up. Sure. And so the other day I was like, because I've been watching a lot of, like, cooked, like, documentaries mm-hmm, and just about mm-hmm. taking care of yourself. So the other day I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, it'd be cool if I had, like, a few acres. I could plant some, some things. Maybe even, like, get a couple cows and, like, a pig, and then, like, now I have my own meat. You know, like, just going through this process, like, I'm inventing this. And then I was like, I just described being a farmer. <laughs> like, straight up thought I invented this idea of, like, self-sustaining <laughs> and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 I just I'll described start, being a I'll farmer. I'll start a movement. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's my... Are you serious, though? Do you really, like, now that you realize it's a thing, do you want to be a farmer? Like, yes, yes and no. Um, I know I'm not really great with animals. Like, I don't think I would be good to actually, like, raise cattle. But, like, there are there are ways in which you can, like, invest in a, a cow or what have you and then, like, reap the benefits of that. And I'm like, that's kind of cool just to keep, like, I don't know, not to be, like, my nose in the air about, like, local and, you know all that stuff but the idea of being in control of it is really nice yeah i guess and i i i just very much first of all you know as much as i'm gonna yes and you on this i so disagree no i don't think Um, it's for like you guys seem to really enjoy like city life which is totally i I love the grocery store yeah no (laughs) i love the idea that i can go down the aisle and my uh you know my organic wheat is right next to the pop tarts and i don't have to think about that too much um, I do in a, some ways. So you talked about Cooked, which is the documentary, I guess, series. You'd say it's only four of them. Yeah. Um, uh, on Netflix, and I do like the way that guy makes food look and feel. Yeah. Um, and he's got a very what's his name? Um, Michael Pollan or something. There you go. Yeah. yeah. He's he's got a very like earthy, crunchy like the world is our dinner plate whatever yeah um mentality and i like that and i i could get down with that yeah no i was just thinking because i'm trying to make bread right now and it's been a struggle because i'm Mm. trying to do it like Mm, the bread episode's good it is good and that episode got me thinking so much about like mass production of like how bread is no longer bread dough but it's like a batter essentially and it's been like enriched with all this stuff and i was like Man, it's got to be simple if I just, like, grew some wheat, got, like, a barley grinder, and just, like, ground up my own wheat, and then just, like, made my own bread. You know what I mean? Like, to, to me, it's just, like, so obvious. How hard, how hard could how that hard be? be? I mean, I, so I like the idea of, they sell, in the grocery store, sure. they sell, you know, like, those um, potted plants with, like, herbs and spices. Yeah. Um, and I like that idea of just having, like, a little windowsill farmhouse. I think I'm going to do that, Yeah. Okay, but so I I liked that idea, but like then I was thinking about it. And it's like okay, so let's say you can grow um, a basil, okay, right. or whatever you can grow basil. Cool. Now I have basil. Like, how often am I allowed to take the leaves from the basil plant? Um, how or you know I, can I just take all of it today? Or like 
I don't know how plants work, I guess is what I'm saying. No, I, and let me just say, I'm with you on that because I'm in the same boat. To me, it's just this great idea. But, like, actually keeping a plant alive and then, like, reaping the benefits of it, I don't, I know nothing. There's nothing that is supposed to be alive um, in this apartment that is alive and by that i just by that i mean i think there's probably mold places that it shouldn't be right good like we we have never we cannot keep a plant alive yeah there is just there is just no way i had a friend um in like elementary school who wanted a dog um and before he could have a dog he had to prove that he could raise a plant right and he couldn't and his parents still got him the dog nice well, you killed that cactus kid, but <laughs> yeah. But we'll get you your dog. I mean, let's be honest. You were never gonna feed it anyway. That's all gonna fall on me. Yeah. So. Uh, no, totally. We'll get you, we'll get you the dog anyway. I love the idea that you invented farming. No, I, me too, man. I, I felt Wait, like a fucking so, genius. So, so actually, this may be a little weird because I don't want to. I don't. I don't know if I should use full names, so I'll make up some names. But, um, no, I can. I can get around it. So I woke up. The other day, so I was sick all weekend. Um, I had a fever. I left work early on th- uh, Thursday, and the fever just wouldn't go away. Uh, and the other day, I had a dream. I was in high school, um, and I met um, Teresa's brother, Matt. He was in my dream. Um, and then there was a second Matt nearby. Right. And I, was like, and I was like, in the dream, I was like, whoa, how did I never notice there were two Matt Gaffneys now that I'm dating Teresa? As if, for some reason, dating Teresa meant that there were now two Matt Gaffneys, which right. there, there, there aren't. But I woke up, but from, after that, I woke up and I was like, wow, I can't believe I never noticed that before, but now the dream has told me, and like I can't wait to tell Teresa when she wakes up. And I was awake <laughs> for like a solid... <laughs> 15 minutes thinking that this dream had now enlightened me about the this new thing that was and then i was like wait a minute that makes zero zero sense sense." yeah and then i went and then i went back to sleep but good for you but i love i love that my point is i love that moment when you think you've done something genius yeah and it's like um someone already yeah no i feel you and like i think ultimately for me it's it's this idea of like I'm such an old soul and there's so many aspects of how fast paced Mm. life is right now that like, I so love the idea of slowing it down and like living in a time where like your goal was simply to survive and to like provide for yourself. Um, so I think that's kind of why I've been thinking about that. Um, which is a wonderful segue into our documentary we watched this week, which was called Fanny's last supper. Um, and mm-hmm. essentially, uh, it's a documentary just showing this America's Text Kitchen creating this menu that was from 1896 in Boston. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that was that was really and it, and really it. Okay, my first question. Yep. Okay, so it's Fanny is Fanny Farmer. Yes. Had you heard of Fanny Farmer before? Never in my life. Okay, because the documentary made it seem like household name fanny farmer everyone knows fanny farmer and you're a fucking idiot if you don't know who fanny farmer is and i was like oh hello well and i was gonna ask you or Teresa, since she's like her and her family are from like the boston area because 
This sounded like a cookbook also. I think it's literally called like the Boston School of Cooking or Cookbook or something. And it made it sound like everyone in America had one. And I was like, I've, right. I've, I have the red and white checkered one that we all have. Like the better cooks in America or whatever. Yeah, no. I had, I had, I had never heard of this at all. No. Like, the only, there was, I'd heard of Boston. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, I knew about, uh, it was Mrs. Lincoln was the name of the cookbook. Um, and I've heard of her. Right. Um, but otherwise, no. Fanny Farmer was new to me. Um, but it's it's interesting, just in, if you want to get real heady for a second. Let's you know, do it. She was this, like, huge icon, right, at the turn of the century. Like you said, you know, the documentary makes it seem like everyone had this this book. Um, everyone knew who Fanny Farmer was. And what, a, a hundred and ten years later? Right? Did I do that math right? I think Yeah, I think you did. A hundred ten years later, and she's nobody to us, right? Yeah. Like, apparently she, like, revolutionized cooking. Yeah. And um, and I would not have known her name if it weren't for this documentary. Right. Um, so what were your kind so of... that. What were kind of... Because I'll be the first to admit, as interesting as I found this documentary, it's not presented in a super uh, exciting way. No. Uh, <laughs> no, it's... No, it's, it's pretty... Uh, it's pretty rough. It's amazing. I assume on the casting call for the voiceover actor, they were looking for someone who could uh, emulate the sound of paint drying. Sure. It was just or- <laughs> it was just slow and deliberate and um, It was one of the more like bland narratives I think we've had. And like this guy sounded like he worked oh, for PBS. Lightly. No, but doesn't he sound like PBS no, I mean, from the '80s? No, he's uh, he's from uh, History Channel Classroom, dude. I used to watch it. I used to watch it every morning with my dad. Yeah. Um, at History Channel Classroom. It's the same guy. Um, but God, can he make anything like the How It's Made guy sounds ten times more, more exciting than this yeah. guy? Also, I'm gonna Google it afterwards. I have a gut feeling they might be the same person. All right, but, man. But um, in any case, if you can get past that, it is a slow documentary. Yeah. Um, but here, and here, there are no twists. No, it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. We've had documentaries. We've had documentaries where there is a, a surprise twist midway through, or a uh, something. There are there are no twists. There's no twists. However, I. Did watch this with my brother and or no actually I think I was watching it with you or talking with you. The drinking game in this documentary, if you were looking for one, is every time the word Victorian or Victorian era mm. is said, uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even play with hard alcohol. I would just sip on a beer and you'll be pretty hammered by the end of this uh, fifty-five minute documentary. Honestly, you could do it with water. It could it could cure a fever. <laughs> That's how I got over it. <laughs> Good, good for hydration. I'm just saying, um, the Victorian era, which is still cool and interesting, and I actually did enjoy talking about how they paste their meals, how this meal was prepared and all that. Uh, the guy uses that word so goddamn much. Yeah, which he's famous. I recognized him. Um, I think he's in charge that... of America's Test Kitchen. I, I literally think that's his deal. Oh, but he's been on the Food Network a bunch, yeah. maybe. Um, which I watch way too much. Um, the way the the way the meal works. Uh, so apparently, uh, having these kind of like big, lavish Victorian meals was a 
was a thing people did from time to sure. time. Um, and so Fanny would publish the menus of different feasts and like give you suggestions of how the menus could go. And it's a 12 course meal. So it's like a big, it's a big undertaking. Oh yeah. Um, it's a big undertaking. And the thing that was cool about how they did with this was not only were they using her recipes, um, which was difficult to source certain ingredients because things just aren't as the same and readily available as they were in 1896. Um, but they did everything old school. Like, they made their own gelatin, um, you know, which was crazy. They actually used a Victorian-era stove that was a cast-iron stove where you stoke the fire and you're 100% in control of what's happening. And I actually really loved that stove. It was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, you you might even say the stove was a character of its own. Wow, you some might say, Jason. Some, some might, might say. say. <laughs> um, I, I, take a moment and Google what a Victorian era cast iron stove looks like if you don't have one in your mind already, because it's kind of an impressive uh, thing. Yeah. Um, Could you imagine which... installing that or building that? In, I mean, it's got a way. Like literally thousands of pounds. I'm not even exaggerating. Well, no, no, I'm I'm sure. And he said you could break it up into pieces, but even still. But what you're what you're not maybe even starting to think about is like okay, so installing one of those in the apartment in in Boston, you know, is a thousand pounds. But there would have been one of those in every apartment in every city in America at the time, right? Yeah. It's like I'm thinking about my building right now, which. Okay, well, this is 1896. My building's not going to be around for another 30 years. But if you have an apartment building in New York City, which has, you know, 40 units, you're going to put 40 of those things into the building. Yeah. Like, that's bonkers. Yeah. No, it, when they... And I didn't really realize in the beginning that, like, not only were they just making the meal, but they were using those techniques. Like... There was a point where they were all, like, sweating and dying of heat, and they're like, well, this thing is a cast iron. It's radiating heat. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't think about that. But, like, yeah, that whole thing, you don't want well, to touch it. I had always heard about, like, in the olden in the olden days, in the old sure. country, people would, like, would, would sleep by the stove to, like, stay warm. But, like, no shit. This thing was radiated. At one point, they did, um like, the lamb course, and it got up to, like, 800 degrees, which uh, which real ovens... Can't get... Or not real. Modern ovens can't get Yeah. There. So that was a whole trip. I would like to take umbrage for a second. Sure. Uh, with the... I, with, with, with the whole... With the whole thing. Sure. Because... So they set up their own rules, right? It was their own challenge. They set up their own rules. And you know that I don't have a problem with fake challenges. I think that's a that's a healthy thing to, to underdo to right. undertake. Um, but they 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 used uh, they didn't really use Fanny's recipes the whole way through, right? They started with Fanny's recipes, and then they were like, eh, it needs a little more salt. Eh, it needs a little more yes, what have you." That's my that's my first big thing. That's the bigger one. And the second one, which is maybe picky, is they also used modern like cooking utensils. But back to the first one. What do you what 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 what, 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 what do you say to that? Yeah. No, I I I kind of wasn't sure what the deal was when they were uh, tweaking recipes. So so how they did this was is for all twelve courses they referenced Fanny's cookbook. But the two things I want to say about that is one, 
and they talk about this, there are a lot of assumptions made in this cookbook. Um, yeah. Which, I again, is like such a reflection of the time. So the example was, you know, you could write out uh, instructions on how to make puff pastry today, and you, you could write out a, a page or two on how to make puff pastry. But in Fanny's book, it just says, make puff paste. Like, that's it. So... There's a certain amount of assumption, I think, in her directions, which allowed them to mess with it. But I don't know. I still think that the idea would be to make something that's appealing today. And I don't know that everything that they made then was going to be appealing today. Like the lobster dish, they said they made her recipe and it just came out gross and like not a good texture. And I'm like, yeah, then don't serve it. So do you think... So do you think, because that, that, that did stand out to me. That was, like, I think the only one where they, like, totally scrapped her recipe. They ended up with Julia you, Childs, I think. <laughs> yeah, which is funny, especially because uh, I forget her name, but the the chef who, like, actually did the cooking right. just called it Julia's recipe. Like, yeah. Like, we're old friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, do you think that, the that like, the lobster dish, for example, didn't taste good because of their modern like you know modernly refined palate palettes or do you think like it wouldn't have tasted good in 1896 i mean hard to say i mean it could definitely have been like a combination of both but i again i think there were just like certain techniques and assumptions that like in 90 in in 96 in 1896 people people just knew there were just certain mm-hmm. things. So it, it's hard to say, but I'm sure our palates have changed. I mean, some of the ingredients were, were flown in from, like, other continents because they're not even available right. anymore. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, like, the goose, something came from, like, New Zealand or Australia, and I was like, Jesus Christ, like, mm-hmm. you went far for that. But on the other hand, so, like, the, the salmon, for example, used to come from Seattle, and now that's they definitely farm that yeah. in Massachusetts or you know in the area so yeah no so I just hmm. th- I mean the dishes it's of- something you don't it's something you really don't think about yeah. when you're reading history it's how much like food changes totally I mean even think about so they made these really cool jellies jello molds essentially which like my grandma made jello molds and I think it kind of ended with her like I don't really see you know, our generation being super into jello molds. But like the fact that, yeah, they had to make their own gelatin and get like hooves. Like that's mm-hmm. insane. Cause for us, it's like, we get the instant jello packet mix, right. <laughs> boil some water, throw that in there, let it set and you're good. And like, this was a days and days process Yeah. to make a jello mold. Right. Well, that's the thing too. It's like, you know, I don't No, this is a I guess this is too too far to say but like for the most part we aren't uh preparing foods over this amount of time with this amount of energy with this amount of care right no like for the most part even like good home cooks are spending you know an hour an hour and a half cooking their meal they're not doing and that's far above average at this point I think in cooked somewhere I think the average meal prep today is like 27 minutes. And in the 50s, I think it was an hour. Um, mm. So, yeah, so it keeps getting less. So so I also want to talk about the meal itself as far as the sure. rules of the meal. 
Yeah, um, that was interesting. Yeah, because it's, again, like, things we don't think about. These are not dinner parties that we have or throw anymore. So the first thing is, is, again, we mentioned this is a 12-course meal. However, a 12-course meal still should not take more than two hours to sit down and eat. Yeah. Which, which yeah. eating, like, I don't care. Like, just keep bringing me food, and I'm just going to keep eating. But, like, from a prep perspective... Getting 12 sh- things out, dishes out in two hours, crazy. Yeah. Like, well, they're moving still. Yeah. Well, and I want, so that's one thing. So they, they, they followed that rule, like, to a T, right? Yeah. I w- that was one specifically where I was like, why, how, how steadfast would that rule have actually been? Or would that have been a thing where, like, at the dinner... It, you know, it would have been two and a half hours, and everyone go, "Oh, Betty, her meals <laughs> always last. Her her meals always go for two and a half hours. Crazy, Betty." Yeah, I mean, I, I I probably would be fine with it. I don't, I don't know. But but also, it's like the fucking Puritans. I mean, that's not the, it's not Puritans, but like culturally, Boston is so like rules and laws yeah. and like strict about things that like i could see also people like pulling out their their pocket watches and be like i'm at it and you know one hour 58 minutes yeah. and we're only on course 10 but think about so. like even coordinating that like coordinating it in right in now in now when they did this recently so they had the major d out there who was um kind of running the meal getting wine etc and he had an, an earpiece to communicate with the kitchen about like pacing essentially and it's like think about having to do that with without right. even that small advantage of like i'm now pouring this wine for this thing we have two minutes to plate or whatever or even there was they had a a, a production schedule basically on yeah. you know printed out clearly using excel color-coded you know uh, with with bars showing exact times that things had to get on the plates. Like, I'm sorry, Fanny Farmer was not using Excel to no. to schedule her plating. No, and it was still a challenge even even with today's technology. So, but I I think the time limit's cool because when they said twelve course meal, mm-hmm. I'm like I don't have the patience to like make small talk for like five hours, which I think that could take. You know. Right. No, and I honestly like I. I respect that a lot. The idea that like even a good thing should be should happen and get out of the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it should be it should be two hours. That's how long That's this meal is gonna last. And we will we will part ways. I agree. Do not do not go too long. Did we see all twelve courses? We did. I tried to count the second time I was watching. We did see all twelve. We did. I mean there were a couple that weren't as elaborate. Like the first course was oysters. Which they made <laughs> oysters they said something like was the poor man's whatever. And I was like, I love that oysters were just like this thing it was, everyone had. It was had. like a snack food. Yeah. yeah. Which now I, like I, you could you could pay a lot to sit down and eat some oysters. Someone in marketing did a great job there, probably in the you know, at, at right at the turn of the century, someone figured out how to market oysters. How to, to how to how to flip that? Yeah, yeah. no, seriously. Um, so twelve courses. So the other part or another rule in the meal was that you could leave no bite marks. There could mm-hmm. be no evidence mm-hmm. that you were actually eating your food uh, on the plate. So this is where, if you, like, very knife and fork, no no hands, yeah. no biting. That's polite. 
Totally. But, like, do you think about that? Like... Oh, hell no. I know. But, like... But that's that's a polite that's a polite thing to do. It's it's the same way when when I'm eating with someone else, I don't want to actually see them swallow. I just like to imagine it. Yeah, but I don't have to. I don't want to have to view it. Which, which is turn away from me. Which yeah, I guess it's gr- it's gross. I don't well, know. These, I, it's a little thing. That's a little thing I do. Well, they were saying that they're not into like the 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 grotesque part Anna. of of humanity i guess would be the word like right they they didn't they don't like they didn't like to remember that uh they shit humans too. were animals right right no exactly <laughs> that. exactly that no and that's i don't know that's fair that's the worst part about being a human is that we're really just monkeys um but they're i say that every morning sure it's the first that's thing i mantra. say when i wake up after i realize that the thing i learned in my dream is total horseshit is we're just monkeys who dream um i think my i think my favorite rule uh was the other one that wasn't the biting one not leaving or not finishing your your plate not finishing the food on your plate yep Um, you're never supposed to eat everything so i know i already know that there are a lot of different customs around the world regarding that where like um there are some cultures uh, uh, German is this they taught us in high school anyway in Germany if you uh, finish your plate and don't say anything they will bring you more food and if you finish that they'll bring you more and they'll bring you more until you like uh, you have to cross the your your utensils on the plate right and that otherwise otherwise they think you're you're still hungry and you want more um, hang on my food is getting delivered right now <laughs> sorry oh you're going to have to eat it no, while we record. No, I'm just going to grab it. No, but then you'll eat it and then describe Hello. it. I'll come right down. Thank you. Sweet. Um, so I believe we were talking about not being animals and leaving a bite or two on your plate of things, even if you loved it. Right. Which, so, personally, I think there's something nice about the idea of um, restraint. Sure. And you don't you don't have to finish the plate just because the food was good. Right. Um, I'm a huge proponent of eating until you're no longer hungry. Right. And then and then stepping away. Totally. I don't know. So like, think about when you were growing up either what was practiced in your household or what your perception was from TV or whatever. Like, what were table manners that you grew up with or you thought were, like, a big deal? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's easy to say that there are... I, I didn't realize there were rules in my house, or, I guess, there were rules at other people's house that we didn't follow. Sure. Um, the one that jumps out to me is I went to my friend's house for dinner and i wore a hat mm. uh, a baseball hat at the table and his dad was like you you know you wear a baseball hat at the table in your home or something like that and i was like <laughs> yeah i was like yeah <laughs> i was like yeah i, I sh- do i sure do um and he was, and he was like he, and then he felt like he not like uh he felt um embarrassed and he was like oh okay well like you know and we have you know we didn't you don't wear hats at the table i was like oh, okay sorry right and i took it off um so that's one that jumps out at me is being like that was something I knew that some people didn't like, I guess. Right. 
but I didn't have, my family didn't have a problem with. Yeah. I was, I don't know, my family was pretty lax around the table. Like, we just weren't really assholes to each other, and we were all there, and we had dinner together. But the thing that I was always worried about when going to other people's homes, (laughs) for whatever reason, was elbows on the table. Right. Our family didn't care. (laughs) I've never, I've never met someone who did. I know. And I know you're, I know you're supposed to. No, I know. And I felt like it was always on like TV or something and they'd be like, no elbows on the table or like, get you, you know, but like your forearms were fine, but elbows were wrong. And so like, that was the only like social cue about a meal that I would pay attention to. I was like, so where are we at with elbows, everybody? <laughs> like, <laughs> who, are your, feeling on the elbows? Yeah. Like, are your elbows on the table? Cause like mine probably will be, but like, that was always the thing what... I would look for. I don't know if I've ever, I can't think of a time when I was with someone and like noticed that their elbows were not on the table like they were making that effort. Yeah. No, definitely something I've noticed. And then the thing that like my best friend has trained into me is like waiting for everyone to, like actually really being good about waiting till everyone has their food and everyone is sat down before. And I've gotten good at that one. So I learned recently a new rule around that, which was if you if there's a party of five or more, you're not supposed to wait for everyone to have their food. It's like so it, this is you know who who makes up the rules. I don't know, but I was with a I was with a group of people, and they were right. like, oh no no no, if it's a party of five or more, you shouldn't wait. Um, which is maybe fair because then there's like, well, your food's gonna get cold and like right. whatever. But like, for okay. You, but on the other hand, yeah, you don't want to finish and then be sitting around while you know Joe Schmo is chomping down his nachos still. Right. I don't know. No, I don't know. I agree, but it just seems like then it was maybe just a more like standardized idea of like what was like proper table etiquette or or meal etiquette, like. Even if you were to watch something like Downton Abbey or The Crown, which I'm obsessed with, like, their meals are just of this idea. They're very elaborate, and it's like, but everyone seemed to know, like, the right ties to wear, and it's this type of dinner jacket, and you do this, you don't do that, Um, which is cool. Well, no, and there's people, you know, there still are etiquette schools. I don't think we care about it as much. We definitely don't care about etiquette as much. No. But there are rules about, like, um, whether the iced teaspoon goes on the plate or on the table and like yeah. stuff like that. Um, I wish, I mean, you know, I, I think both of us consider ourselves pretty decent home cooks. I've yeah. never cooked anything, you know, the modern equivalent of this at all. Um, no. And I would like to. I think this is this is my next this is my next frontier. Yeah. Is multi-course cuisine. Totally, because right now, if I can time, like, my vegetables and my protein to be done at the same time, I'm, like, a genius. Right. I, I, again, I, I invented, you know, timing. But, um, <laughs> no, I agree with you. Like, the idea of, of knowing, like, okay, like, this this is simmering for a bit. Now I'm going to move on to, you know, the first half of right. this of this piece. And we'll, we'll get there. I've also really never, so, like, okay, hold on. Let me walk that back for a second. Okay. So we have we have uh, uh, Jews have this thing called Passover, which in itself is like a like a timed out multi course meal, sure. right? So, so like that's for the most part the only 
thing I've ever had resembling this 12 course meal. Have you ever had one of these things where it's like, you know, six appetizers, three entrees and three desserts? Yeah. So in October, my best friend's boyfriend got his reservations. It took three months to get in. And we went to a schmancy place downtown. And the way it works is it, it was still family style nice, but we ordered like eight different things for four of us and they determined the pace of your meal. So it was mm. really, really cool because like they brought out the lighter stuff first and then they would pay attention to like how you were doing and all this stuff. So it was a paced meal and we sat for a while. I would say it took us a good like hour and a half. Like we were, we were definitely drinking, but again, like even that was in a progression and it was really mm -hmm. cool because at the end of it, I had eaten a lot of different things. I had drank a lot of good wine, but I didn't want to like die. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? I wasn't like, God, I overate. It wasn't like ordering a half pound burger and then, you know, feeling awful. Like I, I was very satisfied and pleased, but it's a totally different way of eating. Have Have you heard of, and I'm going to butcher it, but uh, omakase, it's Japanese, uh -huh. uh, it's it's when uh, the sushi chef creates the sushi for you and you don't get to order. Uh, he just makes it up as he goes along and like tries to um, like uh, excite you with every new with every new plate and like tries to one up himself on every new plate. Okay. I would totally it's, do that. Yeah, it's it, I've never obviously had it, but I've watched like three or four YouTube videos of people like, you know, unboxing their experience, so to speak. Um That's so and cool. It's, it's really cool and it's like an opportunity for the chef to like kind of uh put himself uh on the plate for you. But what's great about um and it goes for as long as he wants. You don't know how much it's going to cost until the end. Um but what's great about that experience kind of or what's different about it is that it's different every time right yeah because the, the the chef is improvising but also like the plates are tiny so it's not like you're gonna fill up because you're gonna have like he's gonna you know spend five minutes and make literally a piece of salmon right um but it's you know it's the same idea as fanny farmer where it's you know we're gonna take you on a a food journey but it's bite by bite like it's it's really that precise and i think that's really cool to me yeah, it's, it's, um, I don't know, it's just totally different. I mean, even when you cook food for yourself versus making food, it tastes better. I think you appreciate the work that you put into it a lot more. Um, yeah. Like I, I told you the other day, I almost bought a can of soup when I was sick, and I stupidly thought making soup was just as easy. Two and a half mm. hours later, I had soup. But still, I was like, you know, it tastes better. I know right. how it was made, and that's kind of cool. And it just, it's a different experience. Um, so that's what I kind of did enjoy about this. It's like, it's not necessarily uh, the most riveting documentary we've watched, but it is it is calming, and it's, um, it's just a shift in mindset of just how things kind of used to be done when things moved a little slower. Um, mm -hmm. And there's something cool about considering that thinking on that it's also it's it's one of my favorite time periods in american history just in terms of like turn of the century is when everything is turning and changing and is like this is a, a huge moment of change in everyone's life and you know cooking is a, is a huge part of american and, and human life 
uh, and it's changing too. And it's a it's an interesting part of the culinary culinary history just to study, just because it is like a huge changing point in how people were thinking about food. Yeah. Um. So that in itself is 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 a weird thing. Would you eat? A, would you have eaten the brain balls? Yeah. Every yeah. I, I think everything that they presented, I would have at least tried. Um. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't not try some brain. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, why not? A little um, crunch, crunch. Yeah, it was a. It was a. Uh, wasn't too challenging. It was a an easy watch. Good easy watch. Yeah. Good easy watch. Good, good easy watch. Uh, not enough Alton Brown, but you know. Oh well, that. we'll have to and find. We'll have to find a yeah, solid we'll, one with him. We'll do another. We'll do another food documentary somewhere in there because there are a lot of good ones. Um. And we love food. Hey, um, cool. Uh, so how does uh, what's the order of this? We haven't we haven't recorded in a long time. It's been a minute do for I, us. Do, uh, do I? What do we? What uh, do we got on the books for next week? week? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, next week's documentary is okay. So it's equally it's it's very slow as well, but in a much more artistic and beautiful way, in my opinion. Wonderful. It's uh, it's it's Werner Herzog. Have you do you know Werner Herzog? No. Werner Werner Herzog. I don't know how he pronounces his name. Uh, you probably do. He's uh, he's a famous documentarian. Uh, has a very specific German, maybe Austrian accent, low kind of monotone thing going on. Uh, right. The documentary, this is a new one for him. It's called Lo and Behold. Um, it's about the internet. Um, cool. I would bet uh, $5 that this is going to be a good one for Emily Toby. Oh, I think, man. Okay. I think you're going to really like it. From, from you know, we're what? We're 15 weeks in. From what I've what from what I've deduced about like what you like about documentaries, yeah. I think this checks a lot of boxes. Off. Okay, okay. Um, I think it's a good one, and we all use the internet, so so it affects all. Of, I feel like um, I don't know anything about it other than the internet, but I feel like I am gonna like it. I also feel like I could get really paranoid watching this. Oh, you could. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, you definitely will. You're gonna, oh no, you really. You're gonna really, get a call at two double in lock. the morning. <laughs> D- double lock the doors. I'm gonna be um, like Jason. I left Alexa on again. <laughs> oh my god, she I, has to guest star. Um, speaking of the internet, yeah, you can you can follow us on uh, Tumblr postdocpodcast.tumblr.com. You can follow us on Facebook facebook.com slash postdocpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter. At Postdoc Podcast. I'm at JC Casman. Emily's at EM Toby. Uh, our music is by our good friend Jonathan O'Grady. His Twitter is at Jonathan O'Grady, not at John O'Grady, which I think is also him, but just from like high school. Yikes. Uh, you can also follow us on Stitcher and Podbean or subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, that's all of it. That's all, all of the things. Oh, we have a Gmail. I was good. Yeah, we have a Gmail. Uh, Postdocpodcast at gmail.com. Of course. Uh, please email us because I check that every day. First thing in the morning. Um, it's the first thing I do. Always um, a disappointment. Af- after I uh, I tend to the chickens. Um, Fanny Farmer doesn't have a lot of quotes. Sure. To choose from, but uh, we'll go with this one. 
Um, progress in civilization has been accompanied by progress in documentaries. Wow. That actually feels cool. Yeah, Fanny would have said that. <laughs> cool. Okay. Good. <laughs>